Hi friends, my name is Maria McNeil Phelps and this is the McNeil Voice Studio Podcast. Here we'll be exploring the journey of discovering your true voice, whether it is exploring your purpose or calling or your speaking or singing voice. We're going to talk with others about their journey and look for inspiration and ways to fall in love with the process of self-discovery. So here we go. Welcome to the McNeil Voice Studio Podcast. My name is Maria McNeil Phelps, and we are starting our second season. (laughs) Woohoo! So today, I'm so excited that we're starting it off with another vocal educator and composer, Liz Turner. Just a little bit about Liz. She is a soprano originally from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, She is trained in classical, jazz, musical theater, and contemporary styles. Liz earned her bachelor's and master's in vocal performance from Berklee College of Music. She is a current doctoral candidate of education and director of choral activities at St. Thomas University. Uh, Liz resides in Miami, Florida with her Swiss husband, pianist and composer Andreas Haberlin. I hope I said that right. (laughs) Liz has worn many different hats along with contributing to uh, many arts organizations by fundraising, bookkeeping, event planning, contracts, marketing, copyright, and front of house duties. She has also written, composed, and performed in her own musical, Ciao Bambino. So yay, welcome, Liz. (laughs) Thank you so much, Maria. I'm super excited to uh, have some meaningful conversations with you. Um, Thanks for having me here. Oh, of course. And I thought we would just start from the beginning. (laughs) So I know this is going to be a a bit of a doozy of a question, but how and when were you first introduced to singing and theater? Absolutely. Well, I grew up in a... um, a pretty musical home that was encouraged. Um, my family um, weren't professional musicians themselves, but they definitely um, encouraged it from an early age. So they started taking me to uh, the local theaters um, since I was about three years old. I was enrolled in um, dance lessons at four years old, piano lessons. Um, so I, I received training from uh, a very early age um, in theater, music, dance. Um, literally since I could walk and talk. I was always um, finding uh, dress-ups. I used to have a costume bag where I would, you know, um, put on little shows myself and and uh, wear, you know, costumes and perform in front of my Barbie dolls. <laughs> and, uh, but it originally started, um, we had a theater here in Portsmouth. Um, my family took me to see um, a production and... Uh, I don't even remember what the what the production was, but after it, I, I remember thinking to myself in the audience, "That's going to be me next time on the stage." That instead of being in the audience, I want to be on the stage. Um, and they had uh, they must have like announced auditions or something there, but my my family didn't really. Um, it wasn't really paying attention, you know, just bringing their young child to the show. <laughs> And a couple weeks later, you know, I told my parents, um, I have an audition next week. And they said, really? Like, you know, I'm five years old. What are, what are you What are you talking about? Where, when, what? And I said, yeah, I'm auditioning for this show, The Little Mermaid, at the theater. Uh, so my, for some reason, I must have seen that on a bulletin board or I just picked it up overhearing um, the actress talking at the theater. And sure enough, my parents confirmed and there actually was an audition happening like the next couple weeks. Um, 
I went and I sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game uh, <laughs> and was cast as a starfish in my first show, oh, The Little Mermaid. <laughs> and so it, it started from there. But uh, yeah, a very uh, unique story. Wow, that's so cool. And it was a starfish. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I know that was very young, but you know, what was maybe something you learned as a child back then that always you know, has stayed with you? Mm, I think um, practice, 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 um, you know, never give up. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I started doing a lot of children's theater, summer stock theater, um, where, yeah, it's expected that you have to rehearse. So, um, you know, I would go to school during the day and my nights and weekends um, were always rehearsing, even my summers. I was practicing or I was in summer performing arts camps. Um, I was always learning, always doing something, um, you know, in order to uh, learn more, to get better, to collaborate with others. So I think that was, you know, kind of a piece of advice or just a a rule that I learned early on is that, you know, you have to put your time in, you have to practice Mm -hmm. uh, if if you want to get better. That's great. Happen overnight. (laughs) That's good. Um, so, you know, this is, I think as an educator to you, you may get this where there, you have parents and you notice you've got this five-year-old that, you know, is like, I want to audition. <laughs> so mm. what, what advice do you have for parents out there who have children that are interested in the arts? Sure. Yeah. There's a couple ways I think to look at this, um, Auditioning can seem scary for some people, but it is um, a natural process. And I'm glad that I had, um, that training while I was young, because I think, you know, if you're older, you're an adult, you can be very intimidated by auditioning. Um, I mean, no one likes to do it really, you know, (laughs) you're going in front of strangers singing for, you know, a minute and you're done and, uh, you don't get much feedback. So it's, it is a very intimidating process for everyone, but I think the earlier kids or students are able to do it, they will be able to get more comfortable. Um, I've been on, you know, thousands of auditions in my life, um, and that is a natural process for an actor, for a performer. Uh, we're not taking tests or entrance exams, you know, as job um, positions opens. We have to go and introduce ourselves and audition with a, you know, a piece of music or a monologue, and so that's our our calling card, our business card. That's, um, you know, how we get hired for work. So if you um, are afraid of auditioning, uh, you know, maybe this is not the right career for you. So that's why I say, you know, if you have, you know, years and years and years of doing it, you know, I almost can do it in my sleep now. Um, (laughs) I still have to stay on top of it. I still have to practice repertoire. I still have to practice, you know, entering a room and exiting a room. And I would say also, um, in 2021 auditioning has become a lot easier in Mm -hmm. some ways because of technology um even a little bit before the pandemic but now with the pandemic you know a lot of these auditions can happen um through recordings or through videos submission uh that you can you know reach some of these uh theater companies or gigs and actually um we'll probably talk about later, but some of my best gigs I actually got was through um, video auditioning or Zoom auditioning rather than going to a cattle call in New York with 10,000 other people waiting in line and you get seen (laughs) for 20 seconds because, you know, in New York you um, are competing with other, you know, aspiring Broadway performers. 
um, the line you have to it's first come first serve so you're you know signing up at four o'clock in the morning you may not get seen till midnight and you haven't showered you haven't eaten <laughs> it's it's not pretty fun for anyone but I think um, you know and I hope the industry will move forward more with video um, auditions and submissions because I think that's really where um, performers can present their best selves and that's where I've had the best luck wow <laughs> sorry if that ran off on a tangent <laughs> no that was good I think I have now I have like more audition questions of course um but like so from the child perspective like is there an age that you think is too young or like it sounds like you got a lot of experience doing that and that helped you so what are your thoughts with uh auditioning sure. as kids I think it's um, depending on the maturity of the student. I um, and I grew up initially as an only child, so um, I was pretty independent. And you know, for me, um, for myself, at four or five years old was the right time. Other students may blossom earlier, eight, nine, ten years old, and, and that's fine too. So I think it would you know depend on the maturity. Students have to. Um, be able to listen to like a director's um, feedback. They have to be able to take criticism. They have to be able to work with um, other performers, actors on stage. They can't, you know, um, be needy or it's all about them. Uh, and so for me, you know, I just was ready at an early age. But for some other students, uh, you know, it, it may be older middle school as well, too. So I would say, you know, for parents, um, Again, students have to be able to sit still. They have to be able to take direction well. They have to have the discipline to practice. Um, it's a lot of moving parts on stage. There's lights, there's sound, there's costumes, there's choreography. So it's it's a lot to add. Um, I also, I'm like a, I'm a good multitasker. I don't know if it's uh, ADD in me or anything, but I've, I've always done a lot of different things at once. So for me, um, juggling a lot of things, uh, kind of a balancing act was good for me, but that can also be overwhelming for students. But, um, you know, introducing, I think, young kids, uh, you know, one at a time, whether that's, you know, introducing this is a microphone, this is a mic that all the actors wear. These are the, the spotlights that are going to shine in your eyes. These are, you know, your costume piece. You have to take care of it backstage and you have to hang it up every night after the show, um, I think you can introduce students uh, to these parts of theater or performing one by one. That's fantastic. Um, so what about managing expectations then with auditions? You mean uh, like expectations um, from like casting directors or from... For like if they're parents? young, yeah, like parents working with young children. Mm, that Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, initially it should be a process that is encouraged to be fun. Um, and what I learned to do and what I always do, I just kind of did naturally is that after every audition, I go and get like an ice cream or I get a big pizza or I get a <laughs> drink or something. Cause you have to reward yourself. I mean, sometimes you practice weeks, months, years for an audition. Um, it is a lot of stress. It is a lot of pressure, uh, especially auditioning for colleges, for master's programs that, um, you have to have some fun in it too. You can't be, you know, so strict and so hard on yourself. So I encourage, you know, whether it's a parent or, you know, yourself, if you're auditioning to go and reward, okay, you've done your hard work. Now you can relax. Um, 
but you know, see it, see it as a good time. It's a great um, place to network. I've also actually met um, a lot of my best friends Ooh. at auditions, <laughs> just waiting in, you know, the waiting area for hours. Um, I, I met a lot of my good friends actually at auditions. So, wow. you know, see it as, you know, you're, you're meeting new people. Um, maybe you're going to get to work with that casting director. And if that audition doesn't work out, it probably meant that gig wasn't meant for you anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the more auditions you go on, the more comfortable you get. So I think, um, you know, a lot of people can put pressure on themselves. Like I have to get this job or I need this money or I'm nothing without this gig. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, now I'm being more open as this is an opportunity for me to perform, to, you know, show myself, my skills to, um, these individuals. If they like me, they like me. If they don't, they don't. That's a (laughs) good outlook. and, And being on the other side of it, um, when I've done some casting, uh, directing and, um, audition adjudications that a lot of it is not even, you know, personal. Sometimes we take yeah. it so personal if we didn't get that job or that role, you know, maybe my, I had a bad hair day or I, ro- I wore the wrong dress or I sang the wrong song. A lot of it doesn't even have anything to do with it. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just, um, it could be, you know, funding within the company. It could be, um, they need a, a certain, um, height for the role mm-hmm. or, um, they, you know, just need a different voice type. So a lot of it um, is beyond the the performer's control, I would say, too. That's such a good reminder. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, in our pre-interview, you stated that Berkeley College of Music was a big influence for you in regards to connecting to your voice and your passion. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that happened for you and your Berkeley experience? Mm. Yeah, um, I always knew from a young age that I wanted to go to a music conservatory, an art school, and I grew up close to Boston. So, uh, you know, a lot of the schools, Emerson, Boco, Berkeley, those all stood out. um, And I wasn't really sure which one I was going to go to. Uh, In in my freshman year in high school, we actually did the Berkeley High School Jazz Festival. (laughs) And that's where I I started to um, say, hey, I really I like this area. I love this place, the people. And a lot of people from my high school were also applying to Berkeley. Um, I then went to the summer programs at Berkeley and I said, wow, like this is heaven. This is, you know, for (laughs) me, music 24 seven in a city and working with students from all different um, parts of the world, which was really great. I I, I love collaborating with people. So um, getting to do different ensembles going to performances every day where there's live music um, was really best for me. I think um, at first I was, I was torn because I always thought I would go straight into musical theater Mm. because my training was very musical theater. Um, And my private coaches were also very classical and very jazz Mm. in looking at other schools. um, I was hesitant just to get a degree in musical theater. To me at that time, it felt very um, limited, like my options were limited. And Berkeley um, has a great vocal performance program, which encompasses all the different styles of music. So um, you get that classical training. You can take pop, rock, country, R&B classes if you want. Um, You have your jazz theory courses. And then I did musical theater on the side there. So for me, it was the best experience because I could do all different types of music. 
obviously Berkeley, you know, is very, very hard. You're, you're in classes, um, almost five to seven days a week. Uh, it's a very accelerated pace. The music theory, you know, um, it's, it's very demanding. So, uh, you know, it's not for every person. You really have to want that conservatory training 24 seven. But for me, um, I loved it. And that's why I also chose to go there for my master's program is because I could really do any style of music. And as I, I learned as I got older is that I, I love all different um, styles of music. I'm not just a musical theater geek. Um, I love opera. I, I love jazz. I listen to a lot of instrumental jazz. Um, I When I write my songs, I'm doing pop, rock, country, you name it. So um, Berkeley is unique in that you can really focus on any style you want, where other schools you have to do strictly opera for four years or strictly jazz. Yeah. So it sounds like you're just a sponge and you just get everything that is coming sure. your way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> um, when you were at school, were you performing at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Berkeley is competitive in that almost every single person wants to be a performer. So, you know, you may not get every solo or every singer showcase. That was something I had to learn um, coming from a small school where I had all the solos and all the roles going into a school that has 5,000 vocalists. Um, you know, that was kind of a reality. But um, I was also auditioning every weekend on the side for um, outside projects. Um, there was a lot of clubs in Boston. So, you know, I was doing um, events on the nights and weekends to make a little money and to get my name out there. And then in my summers, I was doing a lot of theater, um, doing summer stock theater in New England. I went out to Texas one summer and did a couple internships as well. Um, and that's really kind of my college days, I would say, is where I kind of built up my stamina um, and my tolerance for, for, for performing. You have to have a lot of energy. Uh, so I think that's where uh, I, I developed that. Wow. So, and um, just looking at things that you have done, you've done so many different things. Um, I think you've done acting and even video, right? Sure. And um, sure. Uh, I know one thing that I hear a lot of are questions about working on cruise ships because I, I, I've noticed mm. that you've worked on cruise ships too. So tell me a little bit more about what it's like working on a cruise ship and do you have any suggestions for those that are considering it? Yeah, absolutely. Um an awesome experience. I recommend it for everyone. This had happened uh, a couple years out of college. Um, I was actually first working for Disney. I was on tour for Disney for a year. And um, some of my friends, after I got off a of tour, they said, hey, there's some like cruise ship auditions in Boston. You should check it out. Um, and I didn't really think too much of it. I said, OK, I mean, I didn't, I've never been on a cruise. I you know, <laughs> didn't really know much, but I said, OK, I'll go. Um, my car broke down on the way oh to the gosh. audition, <laughs> flashing lights. But I said, Oh my God, like I had, like, I don't know if it was a sign, but I had to get to this audition. Uh, this was more for like a, a, a theater contract. This was like a, a, for Nickelodeon and I have, you know, loved children's entertainment. So I, um, had to sing, had to dance, I had to do a monologue and they offered me a contract right then and there wow. that started um, a week later. So um, <laughs> I was back in um, Orlando rehearsing for a month 
And then um, that cruise, Norwegian Epic, we were out of um, the Mediterranean um, doing Spain and Italy and France for a year. Um, so with the cruise ships, um, a lot of the gigs come up very fast. <laughs> Usually they're, you know, they're looking for people. Uh, so, you know, be prepared if you go, you may have to get your bags um, ready and packed um, <laughs> next week later. And that's actually talking about auditioning again, why I've, I've gotten a lot of gigs because usually they need a last minute replacement mm. or um, the show is coming up very quickly. And I've always been kind of flexible and I love to travel. So I've always been kind of, you know, willing to go, even <laughs> if it means putting other things on hold. Uh, and the cruise is fun. I mean, um, depending on the line, sometimes you work seven days a week. Sometimes you have one or two days off. Um, but for, you know, a performing artist, generally you have um, the days off, but you perform at night so you mm. can go out into port. And uh, I, I loved it. I love traveling. I love meeting people. I loved um, working with the other uh, entertainers on the ship. We also had Blue Man. We had um, Search Show as wow. well. Um, some Nashville, Las Vegas shows, which were fun. And I took a couple years off and then... Uh, I submitted a video to Carnival a few years later and uh, I ended up doing five contracts with Carnival um, from Australia, New Zealand to South America to the Caribbean. And this was actually kind of um, my own show um, with my husband, Andreas, doing kind of jazz uh, vocals, um, pop and piano. So um, before <laughs> I was um, like an actor in a cast show and then um when I was at Carnival, I did more uh, kind of like a jazz ensemble where I could pick my own songs and my own sets, my own wardrobe, my own costumes, uh, which is a lot of fun. I mean, the only things you have to be careful as a singer, uh, you know, it's you. You don't generally have an understudy. I mean, mm -hmm. if you get sick, no one can really replace you. So you have to take care of yourself. Um, you have to, you know, stay healthy. Mm -hmm. um, you can have fun in port, but you, you still have to be serious and disciplined. You know, you can't, um, not too much fun. And not be able to work or something. Um, so that is a lot of pressure when it's, you know, only you, mm -hmm. um, and you know, some people have a hard time being away from home, but you know, I see it as, an opportunity, you know, you get paid and you can see the world and meet new people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame that the cruise industry has been closed right now for a little over a year. Um, we're hoping it, it gets back, um, because there's, you know, some great entertainment on the cruises. Um, a lot of Broadway people, you know, they get their start there, mm -hmm. uh, or they, you know, they go back to cruising. Um, it's just fun. Everyone's in a good mood and, uh, recommend it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so we're uh, going to dive into your own music again. So you, uh, well, I actually had the privilege of seeing your musical Ciao Bambino in 2018. That was so much fun. Yay. <laughs> um, and so why don't you give us a brief synopsis of what your musical is about? Mm. Yeah, I was uh, initially writing, you know, in high school, I was doing like pop and rock songs for myself, but I was also, you know, big into musical theater. So I said, well, you know, why don't I combine the two? Um, 
I've always, my family's very Italian. My grandparents, great grandparents, and my mother's side came over from Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sung in Italy a lot. So I always had this kind of Italian um, American connection. Grew up in a very, you know, Italian American um, Catholic family home as well. And a lot of the songs that I was writing um, were kind of like pop, uh, Mediterranean, uh, Euro pop song kind of style too. Um, when I first graduated was my early 20s, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of different things. I was traveling. I was in, you know, um, different breakups, relationships, dating, and, you know, finding myself as a young woman. So I um, put together um, this story called Ciao Bambino, which um, in Italian either means hello or goodbye, little boy mm-hmm. uh, or little baby. Uh, so Ciao Bambino is based on um, loose names and dates and places, <laughs> but um, ultimately resulted in a 1940s uh, Italian-American musical um, where a woman comes from Italy and moves to the U.S. Um, in pursuit of finding love, happiness, music, and uh, it results in a kind of a happy-go-lucky, family-friendly musical um there's a lot of fun dance songs in it um uh, duets uh, there's children in the show as well and yeah yeah it's been a, a work in progress almost yeah a little over 10 years now um and we've done a couple different workshops and performing performances we did recordings right before the pandemic I'm actually working on the book right now. Um, we're gonna release it first as an ebook, and then um, hopefully as a um, a published novella. So that way, when we are able to get the show up and running, uh, people can read the book beforehand or grab it in intermission. Um, my ultimate dream one day is to have it as a as a film, as a movie, mm. with with music. But um, I think I've learned from the process is that you know taking a musical is. Uh, it's a long time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you work with different um, actors, trying to find venue spaces, fundraising money for it. Uh, there's a lot of different challenges, but I'm, I'm still determined to um, to you know see it complete and eventually um, that other uh, theaters would be able to put on the show as well. Maybe high schools, maybe churches. Um, that other places besides myself uh, would be able to produce their show on their own with their own actors too. Oh, that would be amazing. I know um, for me personally, one of my favorite songs was Lord, I pray to you. (laughs) It's so pretty. I love it. I'm just a big fan. And so I want to actually let our listeners uh, hear the, a clip from this. So this is a clip from the musical. Uh, that's on their Ciao Bambino Facebook page. Great, great. Lord, I pray to you. Yes, I just love that song. And um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more. What were 
I mean, what were some of the key components to bringing the idea of your musical to the stage? Mm. Well, first I had to make sure all the writing was good before I did anything. And that was actually part of my master's thesis was finishing the script and doing demo recordings of the songs. I mean, along the way, things changed. We had um, characters that were written in, characters that we threw out, songs that we had in, songs that we threw out. Um, And each time, I mean, we've done two to three workshops now with different actors um, that bring different things to the tables. And I've um, said, hey, I really liked this or this sucks. I don't want it anymore. Um, So I think yeah, making sure the, the writing is really stellar and superb. You know, our first reading was what we call a table read where um, the actors all use their scripts. We didn't really have costumes. We didn't have props, lights, dancing or anything, just kind of reading through the music just with piano. Um, our next reading was um, we added costumes. We added some choreography. We added um, backing tracks. We were in a small theater off off Broadway, uh, and that was really great to kind of see the show up on its feet. Um, after that process, we saw what kind of worked, and we went back and we um, implemented some live musicians and uh, some some new actors as well. Uh, we cut the show down. We cut a couple numbers out, and for our next production, hopefully, um, we're working. Probably not this summer, I don't know, because of the pandemic, but probably the summer after, um, you know, getting full-fledged productions with full cast, full band, (laughs) sound, music, lights, all that, um, you know, trying to find a performing venue. It's hard because you want it all to happen at once, but um, you have to do it in phases. Also, you know, finding where your audiences are. you know, that's, that's a big thing. Is your show going to work in New York or is it better in Texas or Florida or New England? Um, so we've been kind of saying, you know, where would our show, um, work best? Um, when people see Ciao Bambino, what do you want them to walk away with? Mm, Great question. I think overall, you know, um, you know, part of it, there's kind of two ends to it. Um, one angle is that, you know, Italian Americans struggled when they first, you know, immigrated to the U.S. and they overcame so many different obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, when my great grandparents came, they were um, a seamstress and a chef. They spoke very little English, wow. um, didn't really have that much money in their pocket, and they were able to, um, you know, start a family and a future here for generations, which was awesome. And I think um, back then also a lot of um, immigrants came here. They didn't have the proper visas. They didn't have, um, you know, the English, they didn't have money, they didn't have training. So I think, um, you know, embracing that and that, you know, this culture, a lot of these people stayed here, um, you know, developing that bond between the U.S. and Italy uh, things that were happening. And I think also, um, you know, it's a story that's primarily relatable, I would say, to young women, um, young women that maybe have come here from a different country, um, that fell in love with someone from a different country, young women that, you know, were not afraid to give up on their dreams. Um, it's not much more um, deeper than that, I would say. I mean, it's still, you know, kind of a family friendly um go feel musical, I'd say a cross between West Side Story and a Bronx Tale. Um, you know, it's not as 
profound as Les Miserables or The Color Purple, but uh, I think, you know, people can learn from it. They can learn about Italian-American culture and history, uh, but they can also fall in love and laugh with it too. Yes. So you should really go see it if you get the chance to and listen to the music. I had the pleasure of seeing it and it really does. It's just a feel good thing that I think is so beneficial for everyone. Um, okay. Thank one you. more musical theater question. I promise. So sure. <laughs> what advice do you have? And this is, uh, this is going to be tough. What advice do you have for anyone uh, interested in writing a musical? Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, making sure that writing is um, up to par is good. You know, you have to do rewrites um, and rewrites, have other people read, sing your work, uh, make sure it, it is uh, singable. Uh, you know, you don't want to write a part um, that's too high for a, a male's voice or too low for a woman's voice. So you have to, you know, make sure that you're writing what's realistic. Um, also for theater, you know, we can get these big grandioso visions in our head of, let's say, you know, um, uh, flying trapeze or smoke or something, <laughs> um, you know, and realistically, can the singer sing that if they are flying in the air or if they <laughs> are point. falling through a trap door? You know, I see a lot of things like that. So you have to, you know, um, and we've learned along the way, too. Um, you know, it has to be for me when I'm writing the voice always comes first. Mm -hmm. I know some composers, directors are more focused on acting or dancing, but for me, it's, it's the voice, the chorals that always come first. Mm -hmm. So you have to write material that realistically your singers can sing. Mm -hmm. If, um, if the material is too many riffs and runs and they're dancing at the same time and spinning a plate on their head, you know, they're not, they're not going to be able to do all three at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, maybe in Cirque du Soleil, but, uh, you know, so I think, uh, composers, writers have to be very mindful, um, you know, what's realistic, uh, don't give too much for your actors to do. I would say less, less is more sometimes. That's great. So um, going back to our pre-interview a little bit here, we had talked about um, different genres. So you had studied, you studied different genres, you performed different genres, and that contributed to really finding your voice. Mm -hmm. um, this is a, this has been like a topic I think that can be uh, controversial sometimes in certain, certain studios or conservatories where, you know, in the past, I think it was a little bit more like you stick with your own, uh, genre. Um, mm. I will say, uh, I think more and more people are encouraging the explorations of different styles. So why do you think there has been some hesitancy with that exploration? And in your opinion, what are the benefits of the, of doing different genres? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point to raise. I think sometimes for people that do different genres, we're seen as, um, a jack of all trades, master of none, and I, you know, sometimes get that look or that connotation because, again, um, you know, I've been in Italy. I love to sing opera and classical music, um, but I'll also go to the jazz club at night and, you know, do a <laughs> jazz set. And some professors, some people kind of look at me, well, like, how can you do both? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe obviously I'm not um, a strictly opera, um, you know, major uh, you know, I still need work on my languages, Italian, French, German. Maybe if I had spent, you know, or put all my eggs in one basket that I, you know, would be um, further along. But I think at the end of the day, you know, do what makes you happy. Mm. Um, 
and so I think, yeah, some um, professors, colleagues can see uh, it a little old, all over the place when students aren't disciplined to one genre. Um, when I'm teaching my students, I'm not like that. We um, we explore theater. We explore, you know, I want all my students to know what a jazz standard is. I want them to know what a classical um, art song is. I want them to know the musical theater canon, um, but also want them to know what's um, being played on the radio today. So I think the more you know about different styles of music, the more knowledgeable you're going to be and to be able to, you know, speak intelligently of music. Um, and you don't know what audiences are looking for. I mean, sometimes, you know, I've had a performance where they say, hey, can you sing this Italian song? Or can you sing this pop song on the radio? Or I love this old jazz standard. Um, you know, performing, we're, we're people pleasers. We want to please audiences. So I think whatever the audiences want or hear, um, that's, a, that's a good angle of looking at it too, of, you know, what type of music should I be learning? Hmm. So from, um, and just because this is our, the beginning of the second season and the whole concept of this podcast is really about exploring what it means to find your voice. Uh, it's obviously more complex than ta-da, um, <laughs> or even the question itself. But um, from your perspective, what does it mean to connect to your authentic voice? Because I think we hear that a lot. Uh, so what do you feel that that means? Yeah, I think we are all born with our own and unique voices. I think everyone does have the capability to sing. I think oftentimes, you know, with American Idol and America's Got Talent and X Factor, um, contemporary singers, we all feel like we have to belt or we have to riff, we have to do runs. Um, I think appreciating and recognizing what your voice has to offer. My voice has kind of been, um, I would say like an old soul format. I don't do a lot of riffs and runs when I perform. Um, and now I've been digging more into Rodgers and Hammerstein, some of the older Irving Berlin, some of the older um, musical theater pieces. Um, and so I think, you know, accepting your voice, uh, you know, for what it is. My, I, I understand that my voice is not right for every style. My voice is not Beyonce's. Um, I understand that I'm also not a coloratura soprano. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, uh, um, um, you know, I used to sing mezzo and now I am a soprano, but I'm, you know, I'm not um, a Renee Fleming. So I, you know, I think don't compare your voice to other singers. Mm -hmm. um, not saying that, you know, one day I might not be able to get there. Maybe I could, you know, if I really, really wanted to. But for right now, um, you know, I have to accept where my voice is at. Um, what are the, you know, the roles I can play? What are the song styles that really suit my voice? Obviously, I'm getting older. My voice is changing a little bit, too. But I think not having that pressure like, oh, I, I have to sing like um, Beyonce does on the radio or I have to do um, what Taylor Swift's doing. But, um, you know uh, you know, accepting your own voice and, and being grateful for that. I love that acceptance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's hard. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I have to just, uh, love on Liz for a second. Um, she has always been like, 
so extraordinarily kind. <laughs> so yeah, like I like every time I have worked with you, and it hasn't been a, a ton, but you have always just been so kind and will. You have like this willingness that is just so sweet. Um, mm. Like you don't really look down at certain projects. You're you're just really willing to be present with people, and I think that's really important, uh, especially in this industry where a lot of people can get bitter and. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, maybe it's because I've, you know, I've, I've worked with, you know, the good, bad and the ugly. And <laughs> I don't want to, um, you know, treat others or myself, you know, sometimes the ways I've been treated, you know, I've seen, um, you know, some unprofessional people on set or, mm-hmm. you know, in the theater, and maybe that's had an impact on me, you know, I don't want others to feel bad. I, um, I want it to be a positive experience for all. Uh, no one has time for that and it's, it's just, it's not worth it. So, well, we need more people like you. You're such a ray of light in the work that you're doing and for others. And I just want to thank you for being on today's podcast. And, uh, is there anywhere that listeners can find you? Sure. So, um, of course, always revamping the website, but, uh, Liz Turner sings.com can, uh, Stay tuned for updates. <laughs> and, and any social media? Social media. I, I admit I've been slacking a little bit in the <laughs> pandemic, uh, but I got to get my social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, a little bit better. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to do everything, but that's on my list. To, <laughs> well, to definitely check better. out her Ciao Bambino Facebook page because you got yes. all that stuff on there. Yes. And yeah, definitely check out her website. Um, and... I'm just trying to think if there's anywhere else. Oh, are you accepting any students, like private students? Sure, yeah. I mean, students are always um, welcome to reach out, um, depending on time and availability, um, whether students are looking to have a weekly lesson, bi-weekly, or just um, get ready for that next audition coming up. Um, Yeah, I'd love to uh, help you in your goals. And they can find you or contact you via your website? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, and, uh, well, that sounds like fantastic. You guys, uh, I think she, you, it's via zoom and in person or do yes. you have, okay. Yes. Well, mo- mo- most of my students have been, um, on zoom okay. actually now, which is great, um, Yay, to be able to <laughs> connect with students all over the world. So, yeah. so anyone <laughs> can reach out to Liz. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for ha- uh, being here and, um, yeah, stay tuned everybody for the next uh, podcast episode. Thanks, Bye. Maria. All right. A big thank you again to all the listeners out there. Now make sure you head on over to Patreon to catch the after show where the magic continues. (laughs) Also, I just want to give a shout out to some of the new patrons on Patreon. So a big shout out to Liz Turner, Cheryl Polk, Dan Tappan, Becca Lobie, and Scott McNeil. Uh, You can join Patreon as well as low as $3 a month to receive vocal educational videos, original music, and behind the scenes looks. And with that $15 a month, you get the podcast after show. So no matter what, you are supporting this podcast and these conversations. Thank you so much. Until next time.